Welcome to Two Priests Talking, a podcast where two Anglican priests sit down to talk about our current cultural moment and how we might live as faithful Christians in the midst of it. I'm Father Aaron Wright. I am the rector here at Old North Abbey Anglican Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I am one of Two Priests Talking. Our hope is to bring you conversations about reasonable faith in what seems to be less than reasonable times. And I'm Father Nick Hamilton, the Associate Rector here at Old North Abbey, and we are Two Priests Talking. This would be good dipped in gravy. Pretty delicious. There's so many things that should be dipped in gravy. I, I just like hot sauce on everything. I like fried fish dipped in gravy. What kind of gravy? A curry gravy or a brown pepper gravy. I can see that. I make sure my mic's like right there. My pop screen. Did you, get, my... did you make yourself a new coffee? No. Oh. Um, well. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Of course, I get this weird allergy thing every year, right about this time. Yeah, your eyeballs are traveling in circles around your head. So whenever I get allergies, I feel it in my ears. I get like a little bit of vertigo, and it comes and goes. And um, so if I just drive on the left side of the road, I'm typically in the right lane. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I just get a little, it's hard. It's kind of weird to sleep at night because chairs are so squeaky it's kind of hard to sleep at night because if i'm on my right side it's okay if i'm on my left side is that right it's kind of a it kind of hurts right like in so, your ear you get pressure or maybe the other ear. side yeah if i'm if i'm sleeping i have to sleep on the side of the ear that's bothering me hmm. yeah because so it's other like relieving like, the pressure yeah i know yeah i, I know that feeling that's that's a bummer it's okay I have to sleep on my right side because my left kidney is the one that gives me all the stones. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So if I've got problems and I sleep on my left side, I'm like, oh, it's pressure. So I got to sleep on my right side. We're not even all that old, but we've got some issues. Mine's just allergies. Yours is like, I don't know, it's internal. Well, <laughs> so is yours. You've got vertigo as a result. Yeah, because my, my eardrum gets pressure on it and that makes me a little... I get little vertigo moments. Yeah, man. But life, even with all of its peculiarities, and is good. Is good. Is would, it not? I would still wish to live. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's, we've been real bad at podcasting lately. <laughs> yeah. How many weeks has it been? Like another month? Oh, it's been more than that. Golly. I think it's two months. No. Yeah. Really? I, I think Shh. so. We'll think about it this way. Um, did we do it in the season of Lent? I thought I thought so. Did we do it before my birthday, before vacationing? In March or my birthday? We haven't done it in a while. <clears throat> We're both a year older. I bet it's like mid-March. It's oh, like two okay. months. Our last one was, oh, no, March 24th. Oh, so we're at about Yeah, yeah a we're like a, a, a month and a half almost. So not too bad. But a lot has happened since our last episode. In fact, um, abortion. 
just in the world in general. I mean, the world's crazy. There's still crazy war happening. And then you get like, um, well, COVID went away, basically. I know it's still around, but I haven't heard about it in the news in forever. Well, it's gone away right? from a public persona perspective, but now I know more people who have it than ever before. Right. It's like, <laughs> but it's like the cold now, legitimately, it seems like people are weathering it pretty well. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Justice Alito sent us a copy of his draft decision uh, for the Supreme Court ruling in this case, and we leaked it. <laughs> we leaked it. We leaked it to the world, but he sent it to us first because he wanted us to know how much of an impact we'd had on his thinking about our, abortion. Our three, our three podcasts on abortion, <laughs> if you don't know this, have really impacted the Supreme Court's decision. They've just they upended the world. Yeah, Justice Alito brilliant. sent us a really nice note. You know, thanks for paving the way. Yeah. Thanks for paving the way. You really changed our thinking with this first world, second world, third world, you know, dynamics, the explanation of Philip Reeves thought and Charles Taylor, you know, and your explanation of history. It was, it was a really thoughtful note. We were glad to get it. Can I just say though, (laughs) (laughs) and and if you haven't listened to those or we're doing a four or five week series on on abortion. Hopefully, four, hopefully four this five, is the last four one. Five five, week, four or five weeks. Four or five months. episode. It's like a whole year. Um, I was encouraged that as I was reading some of the stuff, you know, um, and we were talking about it. Some of it, the more recent stuff about abortion. The, well, no, the, uh, the releasing of the... Oh, yeah. The draft decision. The draft decision, yeah. It actually did... What they're saying in this moment is that it's not good law. Right. Um, and they're probably going to hand it over to the states for states to decide and things along those lines. But it's not good law because of all the things we, in a sense, we're talking about in those first two episodes. This issue of uh, a shifting of thinking, right, away from when the Constitution was written, right? There's a shift away from that. Right. Where there is some sort of... Uh, um, transcendent reality when the constitution is written away from the, just the imminent. Right. Right. And I think if you look at what we talked about in the second one, that there was a historical framework where all of this was taking place at the time that pushed this decision through that really had nothing to do with the constitution or the legal system as a whole. Right. Um, so it really was this sort of external pressures it was from pr- the world around us. It was a product of the time in which moment. the court found itself. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, and they are, they're very much talking about this reality that um, uh, precedent, the precedent that once was and still is so prevalent in the legal system, right? Legal precedent. I don't know how to pronounce it appropriately. I think it's Latin stare decisis. Like the previous decisions were always regarded as normative, right? This is the legal precedent regarding this issue and to go away from it or to reverse a decision, uh, was to potentially compromise the, um, stability, the view of the court itself. But what's being argued from what I can tell in my brief you know, scan of this draft decision is that for the most part, Roe was shaky to begin with. And then Casey 
which later on overturned huge chunks of Roe, but affirmed it to some degree, uh, were both faulty in their decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were engaging with, on some level, areas of what it means to be human that are difficult to regulate in law. And they made some arbitrary decisions in order to enact these laws that would allow for abortion to be legal throughout the United States. And now they're going back on that saying, hey, this should be a state's de state decision anyway. When Roe was passed, there were 30 states that had anti-abortion laws in place already still. And so when Roe ended up being um, ruled on, you saw this shift nationally. Mm -hmm. and, and it's still been a state decision, right? Like state by state, there's always been states that are more uh, pro-choice versus pro-life. And I think that's what we have in this re-engagement with the law that the courts are uh, dealing with now when they heard this um, case from the state of Mississippi. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and neither of us are lawyers. We should have had Greg Brown on here. Shout out to Greg Brown. I don't think he listens to our podcast. Uh, well, I, I'm not like, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. Right. We don't know if this draft will be upheld. We don't know what's going to happen in June. I do think though, I mean, everybody's like, why did the, I feel like it got released on purpose by the whole shebang because it, it, it tames our response a little bit. Um, I think in, in that we can prepare for a potential. Yeah. Because I think, um, you've had some protests around the country but if you would have just dropped this on people, it would not have been protests. It would have been riots. And those still may come, but I think you take a little bit of the pressure out of the, off the tea kettle by sort of getting people prepared for that decision. Yeah, you bleed the valve, the bleeder valve a little bit. Yep. Yeah. So That's we, interesting. We will see what happens. Um, but we are still into this. Uh, look, I celebrate, I, I celebrate if it does, uh, if Roe ends up getting overturned, from uh, that perspective, I, I, I will be, I'll, I'll be happy about that. Sure. It's not without complications, but this whole conversation for the last several episodes is not without complication. No. I think that's part of the difficulty about talking about these issues, which have such stark kind of lines of contrast. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would also celebrate it. It feels like it would be a decision that's being made that's in line with how I understand uh, the validity, the beauty, the, um, va the value of human life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what I would call Christians to do is to uh, have a reasonable response, right? Um, if it ends up getting overturned, uh, to act with prudence and with temperance and all of those things where you, you know, because it will be a difficult time. Right. I don't think yeah. you, I mean, you can celebrate, but I think you celebrate with temperance. You celebrate with prudence. You maybe keep it reasonable, reasonable inside your homes. You have to recognize and it's not the time to go streaking. <laughs> We're going streaking. Yeah. I think like you have to recognize that a large chunk of the population who you share your citizenship with in the United States, not your heavenly citizenship, maybe some of them actually you do, um, but will be hurting as a result of this decision. 
maybe not personally hurting, but the idea that this foundational element of how they understand the fabric of our nation has been uh, overturned will be painful to them should this happen. And I think <clears throat> gloating is a bad look for Christians always. Mm -hmm. um, Unless it's regarding college football. Always a bad look. But I mean, you mm -hmm. haven't, I've never seen you gloat because UT's been so bad for so long. <laughs> not in baseball. You said college football. Yeah, I did. But now baseball, you're changing I'm not, it up. I'm not gloating in college baseball. <laughs> We're good. And I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, so I think all those things being said, we wanted to hit on just a few of the pro-choice arguments um, that we hear most frequently and try and unpack why we disagree with the strength of the argument, maybe what we feel like the counterpoint to that argument actually is. Mm -hmm. And again, our thought process is fully rooted in the fact that we are um, Christians, that we believe in the sanctity of life as described in scripture, um, as communicated to us through the tradition of the church, and there isn't really any way for us to get around that, right? So that's, that's some of the foundation of a lot of our arguments, but then I think there's some even more practical uh, things that we can just point to, hopefully, when it comes to a couple other of the more common arguments. And um, you wanna kind of open some of that up? Do you have sure. anything you well, wanna I say think, before we go there? I think what you're saying is, and it's something that we've tried to communicate uh, in the previous ones on abortion is that we're not, we're trying to look at abortion not as um, as the main issue. Yeah, we're not even trying to look at abortion, at abortion as the sickness. Um, abortion, and this sort of we call it the excavating the foundations of a pro-choice culture. Yeah, uh, that's what we're trying to do because abortion is truly a symptom, right, of a greater, deeper issue societally. Right, um, and. What I think you're seeing is is sort of like the taking away in this Roe v. Wade decision. If it goes through, we don't know. Um, you're seeing the sort of taking away of, a, of the possibility of a symptom. But there's still sure. a great deep chasm of issue within society. I think this helps yeah. tremendously, but I still think uh, there are, and we'll get into this with the arguments, there's still this deeply flawed understanding of, of the fabric of society. Mm. Um, and for us as Christians, I want to speak into those deeper things as we go forward through all of our podcasts, as we've tried to in the past, Right. that there's a deeply flawed uh, ethos in our culture that, of course, leads to things like mass genocide through abortion. Sure. Well, you and I were talking about this, and I, I feel like this maybe is worth saying before we jump into all of this. But yeah, we're dealing with symptoms of a larger sickness, right? <clears throat> And part of that sickness, as it's been played out in the last couple centuries, has been the movement from a transcendent worldview to this imminent worldview, where truth is no longer localized in God, the creator of all that exists, right, including ourselves, but it's localized in ourselves. And part of what is being challenged right now, I think especially in our nation, um, on both the right and the left to a large degree is this question of does the government and the rulings and the legislation of the government provide transcendence for us 
uh, that affirms maybe our imminent understanding of truth, right? Right now, the pro-choice movement uh, is, I think, frightened, you know, upset because their understanding of what their personal right and choice, their own reproductive freedom, their own women's rights, all those pieces, their understanding of those things has been protected by this quasi-transcendent thing known as law that the government's enacted, right? And if that's overturned, then it's placed solely in the imminent realm. It's only their own thought process on this that protects it. Now, they may have tons and hundreds of thousands of buddies who agree with them, but it's no longer a protected thought process. There's no longer that transcendent umbrella that protects them from thoughts that are contrary to theirs or opinions that are contrary to theirs. Yeah. In some ways the, they've been able to sort of, um, glide through argumentation about this by just simply saying it's a right. I mean, we have the, um, we have the billboard right outside of my neighborhood that's on I 40 that just says, it simply says abortion is a right. Right. In really big, bold letters, Mm -hmm. which is, it's just a, it's a simple argument. Sure. Right. It's just a right. Yeah. So if it's just a right, then it's just, it's a right. Yeah. And I get that right from this quote unquote, what you said, like a, a quasi transcendent reality of the right. government. Right. And now that quote unquote, that God may be changing its mind. Right. Uh, now I'm, I've got to figure out, well, sure. Who where, do I have a right? Yeah, exactly. To and, abortion? That, and that's not just on the uh, left, right? The right also has been sure. wrestling with this challenge to its legitimacy over the last couple decades as well. As the U.S. has trended more liberal, the conservative right, who has always, I think, <clears throat> felt like, oh, uh, our perspective has been enshrined in this quasi transcendent rule of law. Mm-hmm. And as it's challenged, the question becomes, how does maybe a conservative Christian deal with that challenge? Sure. If they no longer have that um, quasi-transcendent protective umbrella over them, do they turn to the Lord or do they become angry? You know, the, the question's out there on both the left and the right. It's Absolutely. a human question. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I think we're all confronted with that reality of what will we do if we live in a nation that does not reflect how we understand the moral fabric of human life. Um, and that's part of what we're all dealing with now. Yeah. Laws, laws can change human behavior, but they will not solve the solution of sin. Uh, solve the, solve problem the problem of sin. sin. Yeah. It yeah. will not be a solution to sin. No, no. So, only, only Jesus yeah, offers that. So horrible things will still happen even if Roe is overturned. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, <laughs> so. Right. Well, and I think that uh, the question that I honestly have is what does the right, the conservative right, Republican right become if Rose overturned? This has been their, this has been their, I don't want to say whipping boy, but I can't think of another phrase. This has been their uh, single voter issue for so long. Mm-hmm. Who do, who, uh, single issue voter? Yeah. Yeah. For so long, like, how do you, then transform what do you become about i mean because it's second amendment and 
Roe v. Wade. Right. You know, like, so right. those two things are funny when you hold them together too, especially if you're pro-life. You're pro-life, but your second biggest, like, megaphone point is, I want my guns. And it's just bizarre to think about in a lot of ways. Yeah, it'll be, yeah. And we're trying to give a balanced view. Like, we're Sure. It, I, I think that what will be interesting is, is, yeah, exactly, how does the right respond if uh, the thing that's gotten people to the polls uh, over the past few decades um, is taken away. Sure. And it doesn't drive the force, you know. Right. So, and this is why I love being a Christian. That's why I love being clergy, but yeah, it's also why I love I being mean, a I Christian. I don't serve that yeah. institution. Oh, I thanks serve, be to God. I serve no. the church. Right. Well, and you're a citizen of another kingdom That's entirely. Right. So, it will be interesting. But right. politically, it's going to be fascinating to watch what takes place. Right. Well, and I think one thing that I might be worth mentioning, and it's a bit crass, but you and I have seen a couple of these uh, memes and um, things floating around the internet about how Moloch um, <laughs> is worried about the lack of children that will be sacrificed to him if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And it's a crass way of pointing out the fact that this is a... Well, first of all, who, to explain to people who Moloch is. Well, Moloch, Moloch, you might do better. Moloch is the god of uh, hedonism and uh, kind of pleasure that we see in the Old Testament who... Received human the, sacrifices. Human sacrifices right? Yeah, who... Children. Children, yeah. 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 And, you know, there's a time or two where the Israelites actually sacrifice children to, to Moloch, mm -hmm. uh, and they are judged for it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, those memes, as funny as they are, point to this reality that this is a demonic issue. And I just want to say that again. We've said it. I, yeah, the absolutely. fact of the matter that we exist in a society that has determined that life can be uh, exterminated, eliminated, ended for the sake of <clears throat> another life. Well, I wouldn't even say for another life. I would just simply say for even sometimes just a career. The illusion, the illusion of a particular type of life, and that's some what I would say. Yeah, it's, it's so it's idolatry, right? It's sure. A, it's it's a I idolize this kind of life for myself, uh, and we know that that's not in all cases. No, no, no. But that's a caricaturization, but in many cases, many cases, sure, absolutely, um, or because it's difficult, right? Or because it can be hard. Oh, and it is hard, like. Having kids is hard, but it's, that's right. and again, we talked about this already, but it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it gives should, meaning. It does. It helps more than happiness. Meaning. Yes. Yes. More than happiness. The rearing of children, the furthering of the human race in these ways uh, provides meaning and purpose in life in a way that far outstrips uh, our ability to take vacations every year, you know? And again, I'm making a caricaturization and I don't want to sound callous or hard-hearted because we recognize that any woman who is in a situation where they feel like they have to consider having an abortion is in a terrible spot. Like, right. that's not a spot anyone ever wants to be in. I cannot imagine. Um, and yet, 
to paint the other side of this picture, in many of the protest images and even protest dialogue that's happening right now, even in the past week, much of what I would call a caricaturization of the pro-choice movement's arguments is being put on display. Um, oh, they are living into the stereotype. Yes, and, and a lot of it is young, teenage, and 20-something women who are very much all about their right to career, to life, to the pursuit of happiness as they see fit. Um, and I would assume most of them have not had an abortion. Uh, but at the same time, it's fascinating. And, and some of it is the result of the fear-mongering that's happening in the media right now, too. Oh, um, man. Yeah, this idea that, and I've seen so much of this, <laughs> the Boston Globe had a big headline, you know, if uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned, then the government can ban uh, interracial marriage. And I was like, what a non sequitur, you know, like. That's, how, please help me understand how you're connecting those two. Right. As if that's a value of pro-life individuals. Right, exactly. That's insane. Or, or even the right, there's nobody who's been arguing, not that I'm aware of, I mean, there's a small, maybe small portion of the population that's legitimately white supremacist that's arguing that maybe we should overturn those, those laws, but that's demonic too. I sure. mean, it's rooted in the same type of illogical thinking that abortion's rooted in where one life is prioritized over another life. Both lives are not equally sacred. That's right. It's evil. Yeah. So it's insane. It's right. insane. So, well, listen, we, we, this has been a pretty good introduction in terms <laughs> yeah. of just catching people up and then thinking through those sure. pieces uh, a little bit. And there's been a lot of information this past week and a half week. It's been right. a week. Um, yeah. But I think to jump into the podcast, yeah, yeah. we wanted to tackle um, what we saw as some of the main arguments made by the pro-choice movement uh, that we find to be difficult to even support if you're pro-choice. Sure. Um, and we just kind of want to jump into those because I think at some point we have to come out of our shell, Father, Father Nick, and we've been dealing with sort of um, uh, ethereal things in some sure. ways. You know, we've been up here in the clouds a little bit with, you know, first, second, and third world. We've been dealing with, you know, a historical framework. But at the end of the day, um, we have to get down to the nitty-gritty. The nitty-gritty. Yeah. And so the first, one of the first arguments you'll hear typically by pro-choice individuals regarding abortion um, is that, quote-unquote, it's, it's not even a life. Mm. Um, this argument is actually becoming smaller. Yes. Thanks be is, to God. Right. Which is intriguing, but it's almost even worse. Right. <laughs> because people will still say it's a life. Right. And then still say. But eh, it should be aborted. Yeah. It's yeah. still my choice. But do you want to talk a little bit about. Um, why it, um, is a life. Sure. I think that when we look at some of the just basics of what we understand life to look like, one of the things that's been most fascinating to me is the way that we're looking at life on Mars, for instance. And this has been pretty funny for me because we're super pumped that we've discovered bacteria on the surface of Mars, 
and we're pumped about it because it proves to us that there is some form of life in the universe beyond just here on earth. And part of what's fascinating to me is we'll look at bacteria on the surface of Mars celebrated as life. And then in the past, and like you said, Father Aaron, we're moving away from this argument. In the past, we've argued that this uh, embryo, this uh, collection of cells that's represented by the joining together of sperm clump. and egg clump of cells, right? Zygote is not yeah. life, right? right. We, we've argued that that's not life, but we're celebrating bacteria found on the life of Mars. And that's just a fascinating juxtaposition for me. I think one of the other big ones is this reality that we are super excited about uh, animals that demonstrate a sense of sentience. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I don't, did we ever talk about the octopus? We did. We talked about the octopus, but I think, you know, the, and the great apes, like there's this whole movement to protect the great apes of the world because they demonstrate a sense of sentience. And so we cannot let them die. We have to protect mm-hmm. them and protect their habitat. And then you look at the great apes and they are some of the most vicious creatures in the world. They will literally with oh. tools, using tools, destroy their own kind, right? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, so fascinating things. But anyway, uh, those are some brief thoughts. Yeah, so it's that, that issue of the uncertainty of when life begins. And, you know, I've been listening to stuff regarding this issue for a long time. I've watched more lectures than I want to. Um, it's interesting because one of the arguments I get mostly when I talk with people is they'll say something like, well, it's an embryo or a zygote or it's, you know, whatever. And we use those terms, or a fetus, whatever. We use those terms in a very interesting way. Sure. Um, when They're it's being used by the Yeah, when it's being used by the pro-choice argument, it's typically to distance it from being a human. Mm-hmm. So we'll say, well, it's just a zygote, or it's just an embryo, or it's just a fetus. And the question is, well, what kind of zygote, what kind of embryo, what kind of fetus is it? Right. Is it alive, or is it not alive? And nobody can argue that it's not alive. And the reason you can't argue that it's not alive is because it's growing and it's multiplying and it's taking shape and it's forming. Even um, a human as a single cell organism is a living organism. It has DNA. Here's the other interesting thing. It's incredibly complex. Like it's vastly far greater than any of our computer systems or anything Mm. like in an instant. Like it's just there. And we have used this term in the past, this issue of a clump of cells to degrade what's actually taking place. It's amazing. But we'll say it's a clump of cells as if it's just something that's kind of thrown together and in the corner, like a clump of dirt or a clump of uh, dog hair that you've swept and put in the corner of your house. Sure. It's incredibly complex and it's alive. Yeah. It's alive. I think that's the important part. It's alive. Right. Well, nothing that's complex isn't in that way. Nothing living lacks complexity, but then also beyond that, yeah, there's like, I mean, there's some simplicity in life, obviously. Single-celled organism is simple, but complex. Oh, it's, um, we can't, you can't 
parse it all out. It's so complex with DNA. I mean, it's you can't parse it out. Well, and I think that's the interesting part too. Like there's immediately the genetic reality that this is a living being comprised of the parts of two humans, right? That's that's detectable immediately. Yeah. Right. And so the funny thing is to me is that this is not a, even a pro-life issue. Sure. This is just like basic 101 science. It's a, it's a biological issue. And I think to your point, uh, over time, this argument has uh, lessened in strength. Which is really, which is actually <clears throat> more concerning for me. Well, it's concerning that people would continue then to argue for the right to abort when we recognize that it's a life. Right. But I think that's part of where the personhood uh, argument comes in. That's okay? where it's had to go to. Right. We've had to move to this personhood theory. Mm-hmm. When is a person or thing or animal sentient? When do they have the ability to feel, to engage with thought, all of these different pieces, right? And because that's difficult to understand for the child in the womb, it allows a layer of protection for the pro-choice argument. Well, maybe this isn't a sentient being yet. Maybe this isn't a person yet. A person. Now, the complexity of this is that we have all sorts of people in society who might not match our definition of sentience or personhood who are out of the womb. That's right. Right? And we've seen these types of arguments now uh, used in other spaces and places, some some of them quite evil, right? Um, Nazi Germany being one of those places where there was a determination that particular types of beings were better than other particular types of beings. That's right. And sentience for them was one of those arguments. Those who experienced uh, mental uh, slowing and mental faculties and things along those lines were determined to be less worthy and even worthless in some instances. And so, so that opens up a really big can of worms when personhood becomes personhood theory, this idea of when does sentience begin becomes how you define life. Especially if you're using it for your own agenda. Mm. Like that's the thing that scares me. Yeah. Unpack that. Yeah. To say, because nobody can tell us. I mean, even those who believe in personhood still can't at the end of the day go, well, I think right here is a moment where it becomes a person. Mm. It, it, it's not a scientific, because personhood, quote unquote, is not a scientific reality. Hmm. It's not. Sure. It's because it's, it's, I'm, it's I'm talking thinking about, about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we're talking about personhood as something that we experience in the here and now, right? Yeah. We, we, nobody, there's no person in the world who looks at themselves and says, I'm not a person. Sure. Right. So we're already imposing our understanding of what a person is through ourself on something that we don't know. So I can't like, if something so if, if a child is in a womb, right. I don't remember being a, a child in the womb. Right. 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 So for me, a personhood is only seen through the lens that I have, is what the argument is. Sure. But we don't, none of us have a recollection, a recollection of what it is to be a child in the womb. 
I don't remember most of my early childhood. I don't. I, but that doesn't mean I wasn't a person. Well, and it doesn't mean that I wasn't a person to everyone around me. I think that's the other interesting thing is like the idea that we would uh, be impoverished, right? That our hearts would be broken if we were to lose a young child who died after, you know, anywhere in early age, right? That's a tragedy. Right. We call that a tragedy. Um, and that's the point. So I'm getting to my point. Personhood cannot be determined, right, by a single person. So if, if, if society, if we mourn the death of a child in the womb, right? So I think it takes a collective group of people to determine what personhood is because I, Aaron Wright, myself, mm-hmm. um, I'm a person because of other people. Sure. I'll get to my point. So a child in the womb who is wanted, right, is just a much is just as much a person of is just as much a person as a child who is in the womb that is unwanted. And and vice versa. Because if you go with the with the argument that um that we get to determine who is person, right, then they have to be the same. Right? So let me just put it this way. The argument from the pro-choice side about personhood is only rooted in if the child is wanted or not. Okay. That's the best way to say it. Typically. If the child is unwanted, then they would view it as not having personhood. But if the child is wanted, right, we would understand that that's personhood. But my argument is, is that can't be the reality. Sure. Well, it's, it's, it's a subjective reality. And I think that the subjective nature of that reality is what makes it problematic. Um, now the same could be said for, we'd have to be careful. Maybe the, the pro-life movement, right. You could say is using the same determination, right. That all these children are, are, are wanted that we need to have them. And so it's the collective that's giving them value uh, in the pro-life movement, and it's a collective that's reducing their value in the pro-choice movement. And I think there has to be something transcendent, again, that determines value. For us as Christians, that's the fact that God has called life good and that he has created us in his image uh, and that we are all, in some, in some ways, even in our fallen and broken nature, uh, icons of God, right? That we, that we were made in his image. Right. But to my point. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe I I'm think what you're it. saying is true. Sure. If there's somebody who's pro-choice, okay, and they have a baby that they desire. Okay. And they, but they lose that baby. Like they get pregnant and they lose that child in the womb, but they want the child. Mm-hmm. It's a loss. Mm, sure. Why? Because there's been an attributed, they've attributed personhood to it. Sure. But the argument can't stay that way if it's a baby that's unwanted. Correct. What I'm saying is, is that we all know that children are persons, even in the womb, because we mourn the loss of them when they're wanted. Right. But when they're unwanted, quote unquote, it's not a loss to those who don't want them. Right. In yeah. term, from an argumentative perspective. I'm sure. not saying that a woman... 
who is having an abortion and is struggling with keeping the child or not keeping the child and has an abortion doesn't regret and doesn't say, at the end of the day, I think most women who have abortions realize what's taken place. But the argument from the top down, right, right. is that a woman gets to decide the personhood of a child. So there is no transcendent, is, is my point. Right. It's, it's rooted in the woman's right to choice. It's rooted in woman's re- reproductive freedoms. So it's the most unscientific marker for a person or not. Right. It's only determined if it's wanted. Especially if, for instance, Roe v. Wade is overturned because we acknowledge that this law was built out of an arbitrary basis for when life begins or the trimester theory or any of these other things. So that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating conundrum, right? <clears throat> but it's also part of why we have to move aw- the pro-choice movement, not we, the pro-choice movement has had to move away from that and say, yes, it's a life. You know, because science is hard to argue with there. Yeah, so that's the thing. So science has caught up over the years, over the past 50 years with Roe v. Wade, whereby the pro-choice argument has changed every five, six, seven, eight years. The pro-life argument has not. Sure. The pro-life argument is like, we still believe it's a baby. We're killing a baby. Right. It's wrong to kill babies. In any situation. And I think this brings us to the second one, for instance, we could engage with. Um, the, the issue of poverty. I, I also want to, I think we need to deal with the rape and incest one as well. And I don't know if that's worth dealing with even before we get to poverty. But I think, you know, one of those arguments that's made by the pro-choice movement is what about instances of rape and incest? And we've been talking about this and yeah. your, your answer is okay. Okay. No, I, I don't. So to set the record straight, I do not believe in abortion in cases of rape or incest. Right. I, I think that the old thing of two wrongs don't make a right still holds true. Sure. It would be a logical fallacy to say just because one bad situation has happened, we can now allow another bad situation to happen. Just Correct. because something terrible has happened does not mean that, that you can then kill this person. It's That's the same right. as uh, issues of vengeance and everything else, right? Right. right. But I, I have found that the pro-choice movement actually doesn't give a crap about that argument. And here's why I say that. They don't sure. care. And... I will gladly, at any point in time, if somebody says, hey, how about in situations of rape or incest? I would say, okay. Stick my hand across the table, say, let's just make a deal. Yeah. Like, okay, only, I would say, only in cases of rape or incest. And they never go, perfect. They always go, no, 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 no. Right. Because because, it's, because not, it's not the argument for that. It's not the argument. For I them. mean, let's put this let's put this in context and then go where you're going. I think if we were to say only in cases of rape or incest, right, we end up reducing the number of children aborted in the U.S. from eight hundred thousand to what we said it's one point five percent. So yeah, so you're looking at uh, twelve hundred a year. I'd have to do the math. Yeah, but I mean, it drastically reduces the number of children who are aborted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so just say, call it, yeah. And, and it would I be 1,200. If, if we abort 800,000 kids a year, 1.5 of that would be 1,200. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you and, like my like math skills? Oh, I'm just going to double check it quick. But keep you don't going. Need to, but it's cool. But, but go, go, go where you're going. 
Yeah, so it's not an argument. It's more of an ad hominem argument. What it means is, is it's trying to attack the person who would hold to that view. 12,000 maybe. 800,000. Oh, I meant to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant to yeah, say yeah. 12, yeah, so, sorry, so, yeah. 1,200 would be, yeah, yeah I apologize. It's still, it's still a, dr- it's still a huge yeah, amount, 12,000, 12, right, 12,000, to put it in perspective, 12,000 babies aborted a year would still be almost 11,000 more children than died of COVID in the entire kind of COVID pandemic. That's right, that's um, right. So which the, we were mortified of. No, we were terrified. So anyway, continue. So the argument is really just against me. Let's say I'm having that argument. Okay. Because what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to elevate a moral position around rape and incest. Sure. So if I say something like, I don't believe that you should have, still have an abortion in cases of rape or incest, right? Uh, then the argument becomes, oh, you really don't care then about rape or incest. You're insensitive to the issue of rape or incest. Right. Ad hominem. And I would say, yeah. no, 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 no. No, I think rape and incest are absolutely horrible. I find it odd that most pro-choice supporters have a much more severe punishment for the victim of rape and incest, the child, over mm. the person who would commit it, mm. right? Which is interesting to me. I'm not saying we should have the death penalty. <laughs> I'm pro-life, but I'm simply saying it is interesting. So it's only an argument to sort of put you on your heels and make you seem insensitive or uncaring. Sure. And I'm saying, no, I think that we should have severe punishment for rape and incest, uh, Perpetrators, perpetrators of rape and incest. And we should save children now. Right. But the point is, it's not an argument that they typically care about. I would gladly compromise. I'll say, okay, let's just, let's just try it. Yeah. Just in cases of rape or incest. It, it will never be taken. Uh, I have always said evil, evil has no temperance. Sure. It will never be taken because it's not a valid argument for them. Right. It's just a point to make you look bad mm-hmm. if you agree uh, with the pro-life movement. Sure. And not to have, it's, there's no substance behind it. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a ladder on a rung. They're building a case against you as an individual and, and the case, and the case is that you don't, that you don't value the lives and rights of women. Um, right. And I, and I think that that's challenging because the argument could be made that you do value the lives and rights of women, especially the most vulnerable of women, the 400,000 women a year that are aborted. Um, for instance, you know, if we have 800,000 abortions a year and you figure 50, 50, which isn't exactly the case, but 400,000 women a year are silenced permanently. Sure. And I think that that's a challenge that we wrestle with, um, you know, at what cost, which I, and I think that's, that's a good, um, segue into this, this idea of, um, poverty is frequently brought up that one of the reasons why we need to continue to allow abortion to exist is because there are so many people in poverty and the idea of giving them another mouth to feed is um, insensitive. (laughs) I mean, not looking at the bigger picture what would really be keep, kind keeping, to them keeping is people keep, in, keeping people in poverty. Right. The way to eliminate poverty is not necessarily to have less kids in poverty. Right. And I think you and I have looked into this some, and we were even 
perusing this uh, study that was done by the Brookings Institute not too long ago that argued that the reality is one of the things that brings people, and this takes us back to a couple episodes ago, one of the things that takes people out of poverty most is marriage. Absolutely. Um, and that's fascinating, right? We were, that study was showing that 37.1% of female-led... Uh, children are right. in poverty. And, right. And they are in, in female-led households, single-parent female-led households. That's right. 37.1% of, of, uh, of children are in poverty situations if they are in single-led female households. Single, single, single female. <laughs> right. You're, you're saying it right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's interesting, right? Because the, the statistics for married households in poverty was 6.8%. Mm-hmm. So 6.8% of the people who are in poverty are in poverty um, in a married relationship. And so this, this comes back now, again, multifaceted, there's no single issue that's going to fix the brokenness of humanity, mm-hmm. but this is a fascinating one because what defeats, uh, abortion is men who actually take responsibility for their actions, men who are men rather than men being boys. And so, yeah, if you get a woman pregnant, then you need to stay with that woman. And I get that we'll make the argument, well, maybe, maybe they shouldn't stay together. Maybe they shouldn't, uh, maybe they weren't right for each other, whatever. Well, if they weren't right for each other, <laughs> say it, it's okay. They probably shouldn't have been having sex together anyway. That's right. And I think that, you know, you, you said this before, um, how did you phrase it? It's not easy, but it's right. You know, like what we understand sure, it's to not, be, it's, 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 the solution is not easy, but it's right. Well, it's, um, I, I look at when Jesus says the road is straight and narrow. Sure. Right. There's a, a, a sort of straight and narrow way that God calls us to live the gospel. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It's still hard, but it's not complicated. Sure. Right. If you, if you would, if you hold to the values that are laid out for us, through scripture, through tradition, it's not, it's not complicated. Right. It's hard, sure, but it's not complicated. It's not a windy road. It's not a maze. Right. You know, it's like if you just say, Hey, as a woman, uh, and as a man, I believe that sexual freedom is not the greatest value that I have in my life. Right. It's actually, I believe in marriage and I believe in commitment right. and I believe in placing another person before me right. and submitting myself in that relationship to Christ and to this other person, right. I get married. Guess what? Life isn't all about me anymore. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it works. It's hard, sure, but it works. Right. And, and I, do, ah. I, think that that's, I think that that's a beautiful thing. And I think even to say that sexual freedom is not the most important thing about me is to also say, I don't believe that the only piece of the puzzle for me as an individual is my sexuality. And I think that that's important too. Like, yes, do I enjoy sex with my wife? A whole bunch. It's a good gift. But at the same time, my sexual personhood, right, isn't who I am. Right. Nick Hamilton is not just a heterosexual who needs to have his sexual needs met, right? Like there's so much more to us as humanity. And part of these arguments reduce us to sexual creatures and nothing more. For example, um, 
For example, I mean, just recently, this is, it's, it's intriguing to me that you have a sort of a panel of feminists saying this thing, but you have uh, Joy Behar from The View. Oh, tell me about this. Is asking women, if Roe v. Wade truly does get overturned, to go on a sex strike. Hmm. What she doesn't realize that she's saying is she's um, telling women that their greatest power or <laughs> their identity or everything is their sexualness. That's interesting. And that if to punish men or to punish the world or whatever it may be, uh, reduce yourselves and, or not reduce yourselves, but she's actually arguing for abstinence, which is <laughs> quite intriguing. Yeah. That's one way to like, really that's, uh, yeah, that's take one away way, the, take the away issue the, of Roe v. Wade is taken away. away. Yeah. So, but you, you look at a situation like that and you realize how demeaning that is to women. Because hmm. what she's saying is, is you, your greatest power is your sexuality. And if you really want to get at people, you withhold your sexuality from people. In a sense, she's making you a sexual being more than you are something that's valuable outside of your sexual. Yeah. Yeah. Who you are as a sexual being. As, who are as a sexual being. Hmm. It's unbelievable. Um, hmm. and, and so this is, it's so deeply embedded in our culture. Right. Um, but women are valuable outside of their I mean, yeah, outside of their sexuality, right? right? Outside of what they offer men, women are valuable because they are human, because they <laughs> exist, because I mean, they are made in the image of God. And I think, you know, that's important for us to state, absolutely. Um, which is part of why we're also opposed to abortion, because I do believe that, to, and this is hard to say, right? But to have an abortion, even if you're in dire circumstances, I think is to really degrade the fabric of your humanity. Well, it's something that Brenna says, and I respect her so much for saying this. Uh, her whole, you know, she'll be on this show. Her and Katie will. We do. Oh, by the way, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, <laughs> Katie. I think what my wife says about it is spot on. She says that the pro-choice movement has had to tell women that they're weak in order for their argument to work. Hmm. Unpack she's, that. She's had to, they've had to say that women are less than in order for their argument to work. So they'll say a woman gets pregnant and they'll say, this is too hard for you to do. Hmm. Or, um, you can't, you can't do all the things. You're not strong enough to do all the things. You're not strong enough to do it. Um, but by all means, please continue in your sexual freedom, doing whatever, you know, you enjoy, blah, 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 blah. And Brenda's like, women, we're stronger than that. Hmm. Hey, if we do get pregnant and we're not quote unquote, ready to be pregnant. Like we're still strong enough. Hmm. We're not wimps. Like women aren't weak. Right. Like we can still have children. By gosh, we can still make it. Yeah. Um, but the pro-choice movement will often victimize women. Hmm. Right. And make them, uh, feel like they're less than right in order for them to get an abortion. That's interesting. And Brenna's like, no, 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 no. To bring a, Brenna will always say that, she feels like when she had Phoebe and Shepard, Phoebe first, Phoebe was a, a quote unquote, she was a surprise, right? Um, Cause you guys hadn't learned where babies had come from yet. We didn't even know. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> right. You know, <laughs> we thought it was like chicken noodle soup or something. So we chicken avoid... noodles. You were waiting for that stork to show up. I did, we just didn't know. We didn't, we couldn't find the stork on Amazon. <laughs> um, what was funny is she said that actually for the first time in her life, uh, even more so than marriage, and it, 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 it drew her out of herself mm. and gave her meaning and purpose. 
and she's like, that's when I, I that's when I knew what it was. And I, and I say this, I'm not saying this to women who can't have children or who don't have children, but for her, it was such a move towards womanhood for her. Sure. Um, and we understand the difficulties of, of barren wounds and uh, wombs and, and those are wounds as well. Yeah. But she says we, we've had to demean women in order for pro-choice to stick because we've told women that they're not strong enough, they're not good enough, mm. that they can't do it, that they can't go through with the difficult things. That's interesting. And Brenda's like, no, we can because we're, because we're amazing. Because we're women. Yeah. Yeah, thanks My be gosh. to God. Um, so, yeah, this whole uh, thing of... of uh, Poverty. I do want to circle back. I think, yeah, like, sure. We got I, off track I, a little bit. Well, I, we don't necessarily need to dwell on this long, but I, I do want to say I think poverty is so multifaceted, right? I don't want to say like if you just get married, the the solution to living in poverty is fixed, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think statistically, the amount of men who are working has dropped since the seventies. The amount of women who are actually working since the seventies has dropped. I think we've got all sorts of wage stagnation. We have inflation. We have uh, an education system that I'm not sure is actually benefiting us to the degree that we would like it to benefit us, uh, especially in the last decade with some of these grievance studies issues, but that's a whole nother uh, podcast for another time. Um, you know, and I think um, all that being said, women are earning more than they've ever earned before. The wage gap is decreasing, but there's still just issues. Poverty is just this multifaceted monster. And I think that uh, statistically, if you're born into poverty, the chance of you actually exiting poverty is really low um, from from my understanding. So it's it's not necessarily just, hey, men, if you get a woman pregnant, stick with them. But I do think that to argue that just because I'm in a bad situation now financially, I should take the life of this human being is just a fascinating argument. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and it, it is, it's evil cloaked in, um, kind of shiny, bright language. Well, this might provide me with the chance to get out of poverty so that I could then have children in a better situation. Mm -hmm. I, I, this, I mean, this is why I would push in those situations. If, if women feel like they are incapable of doing that, um, that adoption and the giving up of a child for adoption is one of the greatest gifts you can do. Mm -hmm. When we were talking to somebody the other day that said for every child, is it true for every child wanting to be adopted, there's 40 applications? In the U.S., among <laughs> adoption organizations that do um, local U.S. adoptions, yes, there are more people who desire to adopt children than there are children to adopt. Yeah, so that argument is not there. The argument that, hey, uh, there's nobody to take this child is totally false. Right. I, I love that this is even something that showed up in my Reddit newsfeed, but Howard Stern, for all of his uh, profound wisdom and intelligence, said that if Roe v. Wade's overturned, the Republicans will need to or should raise every child that uh, is born that would have been aborted. And, and I'm just like, the fact of the matter is the opportunity's there, you know? Yeah. And the overwhelming majority of people who adopt are Christian. They are, yes. They have a Christian ethic. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, I mean... Statistically, these are all things that you can Yeah, sure. Prove. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's just funny because mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, there's more, there's more people waiting to adopt than there are kids to adopt. Sure, sure. 
I, and I, and I do want to touch on this while we're talking about, um, some societal issues. I think one of the things that is not popular to state out loud, uh, but is statistically accurate is that abortion impacts minorities more heavily than Caucasians in the U S uh, we were sitting on about 12, 13% of the U S population is African-American, uh, black. And when you look at the statistics, you know, so you split that in half, say you've got 6%, uh, of that population is female, maybe three to 4% of it. Yeah. Three, is, three to 3% three is about, is, is of, of childbearing age. age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at the numbers, they have about 38 to 39% of all abortions in the U S and that goes back to the poverty piece. But why is that also not being shouted against? Because essentially it is, uh, diminishing this portion of the population that we have been actively trying to strengthen and, um, champion for years. I mean, especially right now in the current moment in time that we're in, um, I, I don't know why that's not discussed. Um, it's a fascinating, legitimate statistic that's Guttmacher Institute, which is Planned Parenthood's kind of, uh, study arm on abortion and everything else. This isn't some right wing data point. This is a legitimate data point and, um, it's not talked about. Yeah, we have, uh, it is, (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here because you have to be super careful. A, you and I are two white men. Right now, that doesn't sure. mean that I I can't speak truthfully. Right, but no, I'm I mean that'd be a I know genetic how the argument fallacy, goes, yeah. right? Yeah, but how can you say to this if you know speak to this if you know? But there are many um, um, black women who are saying the exact same thing that yeah. we are, who are saying, "Hey, look, this is an attack on minorities. It's an attack on the uh, the black community. Um, most of our." Planned Parenthoods are in black communities. Ours here in Knoxville is. Was. Was. It's, it's being rebuilt. It's being rebuilt. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. No, and I, th- I just throw that out there as a data point. I, I don't know what else to say beyond that. Um, but I think it's, it's important that we acknowledge that. And again, 85% of abortions happen in non-married households. Uh, so 85% of women who have abortions are not married. So it was 14.9% or something of abortions are in marriage relationships. So a smaller number. And I think statistically, we also look at those data points and you see that unfortunately marriage has been more difficult. And I think part of it is systemic, uh, injustice and we talk about that another time, but I do think that there were government policies put in place that made marriage hard for the African-American community for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all pieces of this puzzle. And I, I get that, you know, as white men, we're not supposed to talk about this issue, but again, genetic fallacy, just because I'm a man doesn't mean that I can have a moral opinion about the issue of abortion. It's fallacious to say that I can't or that you can't. Uh, Now, we're not going to be confronted with it in the way that women will be, and we acknowledge that, but um, which kind of maybe segues into that last point, right? Ultimately, the biggest pro-choice argument that I hear right now is it's my body, my choice, right? That this is about um, reproductive freedom and women's rights and 
do you want to touch on that some? Um, yeah, Brendan will not let Shepard play uh, tackle football. It's his body, his choice. <laughs> not, not if my wife has any say so about it, right? Sure, but why? Uh, because he could get really hurt or had concussions and things mm. along those lines, right? We, we've, we've never, there's never been a time in all of society where we've ever agreed that it's my body, my choice. Our bodies are, are not private, are not fully private. They're also public things that take up space in the world and move about the world and do things in the world. Right. If I had the choice to do with my body whatever I chose to do, uh, it would be a horrible place to <laughs> Right. I can't. It, it's, it's just a, it's a silly argument that it's my body, my choice. Right, because, um, because we live in a collective. We live in a society, and I think that's important, right? Like the idea that <clears throat> we could somehow uh, exist in a society in the midst of a collective and yet make decisions completely and totally on our own without impact to anyone else is fascinating. But that's where we exist. That's the argument. Yeah, so you, it, it is your body, right? And you do have choices to make. I mean, everybody, look, everybody has, everybody can choose to do with their body whatever they please. I will say that. You do. You can do whatever you please with your body, but you there are consequences. Sure. And there are, I mean, to, to say it's my body, my choice, mm -hmm. right? Is to say, yeah, it is your body and it is your choice. You can go and rob a bank with that body. Uh, you can go and slap somebody that's much, much bigger than you and stronger than you with your body. Um, you can do all those things if you want to do them, but there will be consequences. Right. You can go and have sex with whoever you'd like. Yeah. Again, it's your body, your choice. But again, I feel like we've dealt with the rape and incest portion of this. So we're looking at 98.5% of all abortions not being the result of rape and incest. Right. It's your okay. body, your choice. Now there's consequences for those choices. Right. Both men and women. And again, we don't want to say, women, you're out of luck. The man's out of here. Men need to step up in these instances. Okay. So anyway, your body, your choice. Yeah. But, in, but biologically, scientifically, the child is not your body. Mm. Yes. It's not. Someone else's body. It's someone else's body. Right. Uh, there's an argument that's going around. Uh, they call it the violin argument in pro-choice movements, which is this sort of like ridiculous, quote unquote, story okay. of a woman waking up and being in a hospital and finding out that she's attached to another person. Uh, and the person is a quote unquote famous violinist. Mm. And in order to keep that person alive, they had to, uh, these people kidnapped her body, right? And plugged her into this other individual because of their blood type. And that person is staying alive because of this woman, right? And this woman, um, uh, the, the argument is that this woman should be able to have the right to unplug herself from this individual um that it, it but it's not for life it's just for nine months i mean the argument is so silly but this is actually gaining traction well the question is is a she was kidnapped and held against her will and plugged up for this sure argument uh, but 98.5 percent, like you said of these situations uh, and look hey look let me just this is going to sound horrible it's going to sound really bad, but not all incest, right, is, is like if a woman 
I know. I hate to say it. I don't know what you're going to say. I know. I, I, Father I, I Aaron anxious. saw me cringe a little anxious. bit. I get anxious even saying this, but but uh, while, I, while I think incest is horrible, uh, we're assuming, we are already assuming that the woman uh, didn't have, didn't play a role in that incest. Right? Well, and I don't know the statistics. No, and so that's there's no reason to go there. But yeah, like, that's a tough one. It's, it's a, yeah, right. So that's why we're like, yeah, let's move on. Um, but in that sort of argument, you're assuming so many different things. A, that uh, you're being held against your will is not the case for women. Women can and, and can make the decision of who they sexually engage with. An overwhelming, over, overwhelming majority of women. There are horrible situations, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you're, you're also, uh, you're also, it is an interesting thing. Like if you can keep somebody alive, like your own child, uh, do you have the right to pull the plug on people that you can keep alive? Sure. Right. Um, so this idea of it being my body, my choice, um, for me is this a fallacious argument because, because we, we, a, we're, we're not really allowed to do with our bodies as we please. Uh, there are ramifications for what we do with our bodies. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's, if it is my body and my choice, right. I would eat a lot of pizza and drink a lot of beer. Well, if, if, what, what if all men just took that viewpoint? Just say, it's my body, my choice. Your body doesn't really matter. It's my choice. Ugh. See, yeah. it, it, that argument by itself does not hold water. Right. Right. So it's got to be something beyond that. Right. Right. I would say it's my body, my responsibility. Sure. Well, and I think that there's truth in that. And I think one of the things to go back to that transcendent, imminent uh, kind of uh, framework is that in this my body, my choice argument, what is being asked for is that each individual's version of morality is enshrined, right? Each individual is asking that their particular moral vision be enshrined as sacred and i think that that's challenging right because it gets into all sorts of weeds and i think that's part of what we're facing right now actually the end result of kind of this postmodern milieu that we live in is that there's going to be no semblance of cogent uh reality because each individual has been given the freedom to determine and define their own reality uh, from the person who would like to have an abortion because maybe they don't believe that that's an actual life to the person who's determined that they're actually a unicorn or a Pegasus or whatever else to even, and this is becoming an issue. And I, I don't know how you get away from it in our current moment to the people who are adults who would rather have sex with minors, right? The, the pedophilia movement, uh, while they don't use that um, language, they use minor attracted persons. Sure. That's like a growing, it's small, but that's a growing portion of the population because what we're saying is this, my body, my choice is legitimate, Mm -hmm. that there is no transcendent morality, Mm -hmm. that the society that we live in doesn't actually impact how we are to act and function, but that we as individuals get to determine how we act and function society be damned. Sure. You know, and, and I'm, I'm, 
it, it was interesting during COVID, right? Because this this argument of my body, my choice came up in terms of like mask wearing and sure. the position of mask wearing. Sure. And people would say, you know, if you really cared about life, right, then you would put your mask on and you would go about your day with your mask on. You would follow all the rules. And typically, the, you know, this is where it becomes iffy because it's like, okay, how do I, how do I navigate that? Mm-hmm. Those that were typically on the left would yeah. say you needed to wear your mask and impose wearing the sure. mask on you. So it's not necessarily your body, your choice. Uh, you, you know, you're going to wear this mask. Um, and that's to help save lives. Yeah. Right. Well, the chance of you having COVID and, and this is where it becomes interesting to me, the chance of you wear uh, the chance of you having COVID and going out with your mask off and killing a bunch of people or even killing one person is very, 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 very small. Right. I'm getting to my point. Yeah. But an abortion is only successful. This is what's intriguing to me. If the baby dies, like that's the intended goal of the abortion. Sure. It's not to save life. Sure. It's actually to kill a child. Right. Right. So this idea of my body, my choice, I mean, you're going in with the intent, right? Mm -hmm. The outcome would be a successful abortion, which would be the death of another human being. Sure. Sure. Right. Um, So I've heard people use that sort of argument of uh, my body, my choice, um, where people would say, well, pro-lifers don't care about life because they won't wear a mask or something. And I'm like, "Ah, I wore my mask. Like, Sure. Yeah. Anecdotally, we wore masks. But I think I think the larger points out there. Right. What does it look like for us to not uh, live with that cognitive dissonance? And I think that's 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 the larger problem of humanity. Like, how do we live um, as integrated human beings who actually do what we say we believe, you know, and that's a challenge for Christians. Sure. I think, you know, for us, ultimately, um, we believe that life is sacred, that all humanity is created in the image of God, that it's good to be fruitful and multiply. We've not dealt with the overpopulation issue and we won't in this podcast. But we did. Well, we did in the past. Yeah, we did a couple episodes ago. Yeah. 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 Uh, But yeah, Genesis 124. Right. That you're not, that the seventh and eighth commandments are important, right? You're not to murder. That's seven. Do not murder. The second is do not commit adultery. You know, yeah. and adultery is defined as sexual relationships outside the covenant of marriage. That's right. That solves a whole bunch of problems. Those commandments are actually really freeing. If we would stick to them, we wouldn't have this issue. Yeah, if we would just. <laughs> right, well, right, right. I mean, not, not, just, like, but it's so simple. I, it's not easy. No, but it's But it simple. does simplify some things. Yeah. And I get that we live in a sinful, broken world. So even if we were to follow those um set the seventh and eighth commandment, uh, if we were to confine all of our sexual, um, engagement to the marriage relationship, there would still be issues. Men would still beat women and all of these things because we live in a broken world. But ultimately the thing that I was thinking about as we've been sitting here is that the God of the universe came as a fetus came yeah, as a came child as a, as a in the womb. Yeah. Grew, yeah. grew in the womb of a woman and was born so that he could redeem all of the human experience, right? The entirety of the human uh, experience was assumed in the person of Christ so that the entire uh, experience of humanity could be redeemed. Yeah. But just like you and I, right. right? This whole like zygote, embryo, fetus thing are not things that we came from. It's things that we were. 
Right. We were a zygote. We didn't come from one. We moved through the process of becoming who we are now. Yeah. And we go, and we go, we go, what? Newborn, infant, toddler, uh, young child, teenager, adolescence. We get, we get all the way up to like seniors. Some of us get to be adults. Not all of us make it to adulthood. Yeah. But that's, those are all the stages of human life. Right. They're not things that like are separate from the stages of human life. That is human life. Yeah. And even if that human life is hard and fraught with difficulty and poverty, and, and I've really been wrestling with this as the homeless population in downtown Knoxville seemed to have really boomed in the last two years. I don't know what it looks like to take care of all those people, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this reality that I believe, and maybe I, I don't know how to engage with this without just saying it, that it's better for them to live life than not to have lived life at all. Um, sure. And for some of them, that life has been tremendous suffering. Um, but I think that in the midst of suffering, there's still the opportunity for redemption. And if we don't believe that, then as Christians, we of all people are most to be pitied, right? If the resurrection is not for all, and if the chance of redemption is not for all people who meet Christ, right? Um, then we are, we are to be pitied. Mm -hmm. And this are, uh, these entire last few podcasts would be moot, right? If Jesus is not who we believe he is, then we would have to undo almost all of this. But we believe wholeheartedly that he is who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would, uh, it, and that's so true. And I would, and, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to move this away from a faith conversation. No, 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 go ahead. We should wrap it up anyway. But We, we would, but I would say even from a common sense perspective, hmm. just given what we know from a scientific perspective, right? And just from like basic, I mean, human interaction, right? That this is still, this is not even, it is, we are formed and shaped by this being a religious issue, right? For us, it you is. You and I are, yeah. Right. But I, if I was an atheist, I honestly believe this. If I was like a new atheist or whatever, or if I even had a thought process where, where Christ was not the center, this issue of abortion is still insane to me. Sure, because sure. Because it, it goes against all sort of like common law. It goes against all sort of like what we see from nature. That, you know, we, as Brennan would say, we have turned women against their own children. And... If that ever happened, in, if we ever saw a situation in nature where uh, mothers were destroying their young, we would say something's wrong. We, as humans, F- fathers in nature often do, but you're right. Mothers yeah. in nature know. Yeah, we would say something's wrong with the mother. Something's wrong with the environment. Something's going on. We need to fix that because that's not what mother lions are supposed to do that's not what mother dogs are supposed to do like we know that from just a common sense basic level Hmm. that this something's wrong if this is happening sure yeah no you're right yeah i think i think you're totally right and i think we could even take on that evolutionary argument right like species would not have continued to exist if that were not the case the mother, the mother instinct is the result of, I mean, even if you take that evolutionary perspective, the result of evolution, right? 
creatures have evolved in order to perpetuate their species, humanity in this instance is engaging in something that is very contrary to even <laughs> the, the, the Dar Darwin laws that, yeah. yeah, the Darwinian perspective. But yeah, we wouldn't necessarily fully embrace all of that. But I think there's this this reality that it's an illogical behavior. Right. Um, now, people would make the other argument, well, we need it in order to reduce population on the planet so that we can continue to survive, blah, 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 we get it. But sure. it's just, yeah, you're right. Y yeah, we would, call, we would call that a perversity, something that's wrong if a mother in nature was destroying its own young. Right. But back to the faith argument, <laughs> it's because we have been, it's because we are created beings, right? We are not here by accident we are not here by no design at all like we are here and we do know that life is valuable yeah right we know it we've just been warped in our minds to think that some lives aren't right and we become the determining factor on who is and who isn't worthy to live which is really really depressing mm. and sad that's the issue sure We've been warped by a liturgy of the world. Selfishness. That has allowed us to determine that a life that's wanted is valuable. A life that's not isn't. Mm. And that's insane. It is weird. Because then we can play that out throughout all of history. That those who are quote unquote not wanted by me are not worthy to live or shouldn't live. And those that I like or wish to have live can live. And so we become the determining factor on who lives and who doesn't based upon our own desires and our own wishes and our own wants. Hmm. Yeah. Let's end there. I think it's good closing. I want to read something. Please. I'm going to read a little portion of Psalm 139 and then you want to send us out with a blessing? Um, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, like I'm fired up right now. You are fired up right now. Go ahead. We've hit our time limit. Oh, much more over than we <laughs> For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Thanks for getting fired up. It's worth being fired up about. I think my allergy medicine's kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens yeah. in the next month. This will be interesting. I do want to have the ladies on. Yeah, maybe we should just have a get-to-know Haiti and Brenna episode. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I mean, uh, and to your point, we'll see what happens. All I can do right now, and I think for all of us, it's continue to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, yeah. Yeah. So receive this blessing. This is for uh, those who don't want a blessing. This is for those who want a blessing. This is for <laughs> those who even are in the womb and don't even know that they're receiving a blessing.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord give you peace all the days of your life. May he be upon your ears to hear him, upon your mouth to speak his good news, in your hands to serve him, in your feet to walk in his ways all the days of your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Thanks, Father Aaron. Blessings, Father Nick. We'll see you next time. See you in six weeks. <laughs> six weeks. <laughs> That's right. Maybe 12. Who knows? But we'll be back. Soon. Yeah. Biblical soon. Biblical soon. soon. Right. You know? Who, who knows? Who knows when? Like and subscribe and review on all your podcast platforms. That helps us out. We're thankful for you all. Peace. Bye.